0: Well, with all that out of the way, uh, we can jump into the sermon uh, for this morning. Uh, I'm excited, uh, uh, for one, um, to be preaching on, on, uh, what is today? The second, Uh, so first Sunday of the year, Um, and um, I'm excited, for one, because um, I think this will be a very good sermon to start the year off with, and for two, because um, it's a sermon that I already had, so... I just had to (laughs) uh, re-go over everything, and um, I did this uh, a couple years ago, and I think it's just really a perfect uh, beginning-of-the-year sermon for us this morning, so I hope that um, you get a lot out of it. Uh, We're going to be in Colossians 3, Um, so if you want to turn there, I'll give you a moment uh, to turn there this morning, Uh, and if you don't have uh, a Bible with you or on your phone, uh, we'll have the words up on the screen for you. So uh, we'll be in Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. And if everybody's there, we'll go ahead and, uh, and read that this morning, uh, starting in verse 1 in Colossians 3. So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming down on the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now, put away all the following anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator in Christ. There is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is in all is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly beloved, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you are to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through him. So uh, that might seem like a passage, uh, a very burdensome passage. Stop doing all these things and start doing all these things, which is sort of what we like to do at the beginning of a new year, right? We like to... Think back, what were some things that maybe, you know, I need to change from this last year? What are some things I need to start doing? Um, and so, it, and it all gets sort of burdensome. But this morning, uh, I want to talk about how all of this can be uh, a, a means of grace for us uh, starting this new year um, and something that is actually not burdensome, but light and free. And so, Uh, To start off, though, uh, I wanted to uh, talk to you guys about Spider-Man. Because uh, apparently two years ago when I did this, Spider-Man was relevant. And we're just so lucky that there was another Spider-Man movie, so it's still relevant. So I didn't even have to change my opening illustration. Uh, But if you think about Spider-Man, who Spider-Man is, he's a teenager, he's a nerd, uh, he's just a typical teenage kid in high school and all of a sudden he's bitten by a radioactive spider and he has all these superpowers but if you if you know anything about spider-man you know that at first he didn't he didn't want to be special he just wanted to live a normal teenage life and and that's something that he struggles with as a, as a character you know he wants to just he has these superpowers but he just wants to be a normal dude and um, and he has normal struggles, and he has just nor- he has normal family things going on, and normal friend things going on, and he just wants things to stay the same. And he tries to live like he always has, but he can't because everything has changed. The call to be something great is now inherent to who he is. So. He has this new power that lives in him, right? And he can't just continue being the normal kid he was. He has this call uh, to something greater that now is just a part of who he is. Uh, And so he begins a long, arduous journey um, to live up to this new calling, this new life, this new self that he is. And here's here's the thing that I think people that watch Spider-Man movies or read Spider-Man comics love. It's that, it's this part of who he is that he's not perfect, right? Spider-Man, it's, it's a part of the character. He, he messes things up a lot and has to go back and fix them. And it's because although he has this special calling, this greater power that lives in him now, he's not who he's supposed to be finally and perfectly yet. Um, But he's not who he once was either, right? He's just not a normal kid anymore. And so he has to learn how to be Spider-Man, right? He has to learn how to deal with normal struggles and also live up to this higher calling that he now has. He has to learn to live as Spider-Man. And what I want us to see this morning is that when we decide to follow Jesus, we have a similar journey. Scripture tells us various things about this. It says that we are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. It says that we are being transformed into the image of the glory of God. It says that we are to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. And it says that whoever abides in him ought to walk like him. These are all things that describe who we are as Christians Yet we often live as if we don't believe these things, or if at least that we don't believe that they can be an actuality for us, right? As if nothing has changed. We, like Spider-Man, uh, we have to recognize that our lives cannot and must not be the same as, a, as followers of Christ. Since Christ has changed us, and since we have the power of Christ in us via the Holy Spirit— we must live to, learn to live in accordance with who we now are. In other words, we need to become like Jesus, right? And so what I want us to see is that we today, what I want us to walk away knowing is that not only must we absolutely become like Christ if we are to be followers of Christ, but we can become more like Christ as his followers and there are rhythms of life, habits of life, um, or what what we might call this morning rhythms of grace that we can build to help us help guide us in that endeavor. And so we're going to look at and we're going to look at this in two sections. First, we're going to look uh, briefly at the new self. Uh, in this passage, it says um, it says that we have a new self. It says uh, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. We as Christians have a new self. So we're going to look at the new self, what it means to be a new self, in other words. And then uh, we're going to look at the rhythms of grace. Uh, and these are going to be ways to live out your new life in Christ. So first, the new self. When, when we talk about becoming like Christ, um, I know what your hesitation is. Um, even saying early, a minute ago that not only must we become like Christ, but we can. In my heart, I feel like there's no way, right? There's no way I can truly be fully like Jesus, right? That's that's our hesitation, and that hesitation comes from it comes from our own experience of life and trying to be good, right? It also comes from the idea. Um, that you hear often in Christianity, which is that no one's perfect and that we'll never truly be like Jesus until we're in heaven. Or like, we'll never, we, we won't in this lifetime be like Jesus. We'll have to wait until heaven. We'll have to wait until the next life. You know, we're supposed to do good things and we're supposed to seek after him, but we're, we won't truly be like him until then. And, um, and I that hesitation to me it's right and wrong, right there's biblical basis for that hesitation, and that it, and it even says that in this passage it says um, that our life is hidden with Christ and God, and when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory and so yes it's it's not really. The mindset of I'm going to be perfect in this lifetime, right? That's not what we're going for here. But we also don't want to fall in the other ditch of I can't make steps toward being like Jesus here and now. And so that's that's a, a big thing of what we want what we need to realise about our new self. Though we are in constant struggle with letting go of our old selves, we are defined by and growing into our new selves here and now. That's important. We're, we're, there's a struggle still, right, in our, in our life, but we are not defined by our old selves anymore. We are defined by our new selves in Christ. And so what we see is that we're not only called to become more like Christ, we have the power to do so. We do, after all, have a new self, a new life, and we have Christ in us, right? Right? We have the power to do it. If anyone was able to give us power to become like Jesus, wouldn't it be Jesus living with us and guiding us? And when Paul, who who is the author of of this uh, letter uh, written to the Colossians, when Paul speaks of the old self and new self, which he does pretty often in his letters, he's not speaking of two things that exist in us. I think that's another common misconception we, we like to view um, our old self and our new self as these two uh, beings battling it out in our hearts, right, uh, for control. But when Paul speaks of the old self and new self, he's not speaking of it in that way. He's speaking of it in a chronological way. He's, what Paul is saying is he's speaking of your old self is who you used to be. It's not someone that's still, like, alive in you, and that's fighting for control. He's speaking of something you used to be. And you can see it in this passage. He says, he doesn't, say, uh, you, he doesn't say, you still walk in these things and are living in them alongside of your new self. He says, you once walked in these things when you were living in them. You're not defined by your old self anymore. You are your new self. He's talking about who you used to be and who you are now, your old self and your new self. And that brings us to our our first main point, which is this. Your new self is not just a hope for the future. It is your current reality in Christ. Your new self is not just a hope for the future, which it is that too. It's not just that, though. It's a reality now in Christ. One commentator says this, Consistently for Paul, the old self did not exist in the believer. The believer will sin, but that is not attributed to the old self. Sin happens because of the imperfect process of growth into the new self. The task for believers then is to stop living like the old self and to develop actions in accord with the new self. And so, Before we we move on and start talking about what that looks like, uh, I want to give you a, a quick application point, which is simply this. Remind yourself often that you are not the old you, the old you that's enslaved to sin. Remind yourself that you are a new creation in Christ. You are being a new self, being a new creation. You are free to be now who Christ calls you to be. It's a simple application, but it's important because if constantly in our minds we're thinking that we're still enslaved to sin and constantly in our minds we're thinking that I'm still just the old me, then that thought and that idea in our, in our mind is going to start to rule our life. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Uh, That's why constantly in scripture, God tells his people to remember what he's done, because if they don't constantly remind themselves of who he is and what he's done, then they'll start to live as if he isn't who he is and as if he hasn't done what he's done, right? And so that's our, our first little application. Remind yourself that you are no longer your old self enslaved to sin, but you are a new self, a new creation in Christ, free to be who he has called you to be. But the question remains, how do we truly and practically work on being our new self? How do we truly and practically become more like Jesus just day to day in our lives, right? Well, and and to get there, I I want to give a quick history lesson. In uh, 1729, a guy named uh, Jean-Jacques de Myron discovered what was later termed to be circadian rhythms. Um, You may be familiar with this. He discovered um, these in plants. And what he noticed when he was studying these plants, he was keeping a bunch of plants in constant darkness. What he noticed was that all of these plants still continued their rhythmic pattern of opening and closing daily, even in complete darkness. There was nothing to open up to take in. There was no light to take in anymore. But they continued this rhythmic pattern. Uh, and, and this was later termed, uh, he didn't term it this, but it was later termed circadian rhythms. And the development of this concept and it's being studied in other s- sorts of life uh, shows us that all living beings have some sort of internal clock. Um, in fact, this clock-like feature of life is embedded into the function of your cells. Every cell in your body functions with a time, like a clock-like rhythm. Um, the way that you're, the, all the little mechanics that happen in your cells that give you life, it happens with a rhythm. There's a pattern to it. Uh, and when factors disrupt our internal clock, uh, then our circadian rhythm is disrupted too. And this can lead to a lot of problems, um, both uh, trivial and serious. It can Cause problems with brainwave activity, coagulation and immunity, metabolism, proper hormone releasing, and so many other things. Um, if I probably continued that list it would just be words that we don't understand, so I'd try to stick with ones that we could maybe wrap our heads around. Uh, but this physical feature of our bodies is intricately connected with the spiritual and emotional part of who we are too. And so what happens is in our go 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 achieve 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 culture it's hard to get both of our both our physical and our spiritual internal clocks set our physical and spiritual internal clocks in a good healthy rhythm our bodies and our souls are synced with a time sucking life draining source and our rhythms are out of whack when we are living, go, 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 achieve, achieve, achieve. Which is what our culture says we should be doing, right? And so that feels a little bit helpless, but we're not helpless. Um, you see, our new self longs to draw near to God. And our new self longs to become like him. Our new self, in, you know, is rooted in Christ, uh, and, you know, what I want us to look at here is that we, how we can build rhythms into our days and weeks and years to help us achieve that longing that our new self has. Eugene Peterson, in his famous uh, paraphrase translation of Scripture, uh, The Message, uh, translates Matthew eleven twenty eight and 30, 28 through 30, this way. And, and I'll have it up on the screen. I, I love that paraphrased translation of Scripture. For one, it's beautiful. It, it captures so well um, what Jesus is saying in this passage. And I particularly like that phrase, unforced rhythms of grace. Because what that tells us is, because of who we are now in Christ, these rhythms, if we'll work right, Jesus says, walk with me work with me. Watch how I do it in this passage. If we will do that and make steps to build those rhythms in our life, they'll become unforced. Grace and Jesus will become a part of who we are naturally, unforced. And that brings us to our second main point. We must build rhythms of grace into our lives so that we can walk with Jesus, work with him, and become like him. If our goal, or at least part of our goal, alongside just being near to God, is to become like him, to become like Jesus, which was our original directive that he gave us when he created us, that we are supposed to be representative of him here on earth. If that's our goal, then we have to build these rhythms into our life. And I think Colossians 3 gives us three things that we need to set or tune to these rhythms of grace. Um, there's three things that, I, that we're going to look at here. Um, we need to set our mind, our hearts, and our hands to these rhythms of grace. So when you think about like an internal clock, this is, this is what we're talking about. We're trying to tune or set um, these parts of who we are to, instead of rhythms of toil, to rhythms of grace instead. So the first thing is our minds. In the passage it says that we set our minds on things above, and that as we do that, we will then be renewed in knowledge according to the image of our Creator. And so what we see is as we do this, we'll begin, as we set our minds on things above, this knowledge of according to the image of our Creator, will begin to change our values. So when you think on, some, when you think on something often, your values change. Uh, that's, just, that's just a reality. When you think on... If you're going to think on all the worries in your life, then your values are be- going to become <laughs> stress and <laughs> toil to make sure that these worries don't become a reality, right? If that's all you're thinking about in your mind. So what Paul says is that we need to set our minds on things above. We need to set, what are things above? It's not a trick question. It's not mysterious. It's things that are like Jesus, things that God loves, uh, things that God wants for us, things above his will, what he wants. That's, that's what it is. That's what it means by things above. Um, it's not some mysterious thing. Uh, and then in Romans twelve two, 2, um, Paul says, uh, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So we see there uh, in this really famous passage of Scripture that it kind of starts with our minds, right? If we're going to set our, the rhythms of our life to God uh, and start becoming more like Him, then it starts with our minds, We must be transformed to be more like him, right? That's what that's talking about. Be transformed into the image of Christ by the renewing of our minds. And so what does that mean? Um, I think this is a really good uh, little quote from uh, Dallas Willard in his book, Renovation of the Heart. He says, The process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively replacing those destructive images and ideas, with the images and ideas that filled the mind of Jesus himself. So what does that mean? It means that, once again, we're working on, in our minds, in the things that we reflect on and think on, not just like in general, but moment by moment, we're trying to take out things that are not things that God wants for us. Are not things that Jesus would think on, and replace them with things that Jesus would think on. And think about this too. We, we have, uh, we do have control over our thoughts. We might not have control over things that pop into our minds, right? We'll see something and it'll remind us of something, or um, we'll we'll just have due to our The natural things, that habits and stuff that we've built into our lives will have thoughts that we don't want there pop into our minds. But that's not the same thing as not having control. Because when those thoughts pop into your minds, can you or can you not turn your mind to something else or tell yourself you don't want to think on those things? We can. We have these internal dialogues with ourselves all the time. Um, And so... That's why I think Paul emphasizes both here in Colossians 3 and Romans 12:2 and other places that transformation starts with the renewing of our minds. And then as we work on renewing our minds, on turning our minds to things above, on turning our minds to things uh, that Jesus loves, that God loves, then we seek things above um, is the next thing, and that's our hearts. Another way this could be translated other than seek things above or is set our hearts on things above or desire things that are above. So as you set your mind on things above, then your values start to change and you start to desire the things that are above. It's a natural progression. Um, and this it happens in this order because of that direct control. Just think about this. We don't have direct control over our hearts. We can't reach into our soul And switch our hearts to be like, love Jesus with all your heart, right? We can't just reach in there and do that. Only God can do that. But He's given us a means that He tells us here in Scripture that we can walk alongside Him in doing that. God changes our hearts, but we do have control of capturing our thoughts, right? Um, Elsewhere, Paul tells us to capture our thoughts. That's what I was talking about a second ago. When something pops up and you're like, no, that. That reminds me of my old self. Those thoughts those thoughts aren't something my new self needs. Um, you can capture those thoughts and get rid of them. And you do that habitually. You have to do it habitually, or you're just going to keep having that way of thinking. And so it's sort of a self-perpetuating pattern. You think on Christ and you draw near to him and your heart's desire grows for him and starts to desire what he desires. And as your heart desires what he desires, you'll start to think on him more and so on and so on. You can see how it's a self-perpetuating pattern. But you have to tune those things to that rhythm or you can see how easily you can just get way off track think about this, uh, just as an example. When you spend time with someone a lot, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a friend, whether it's family, you start to, you'll notice, or maybe you don't notice it about yourself, but you notice it about other people and the people they're hanging out with a lot. They, they, you start to talk like them. You start to say the same phrases as them. You start to even sometimes like the things that they like that you didn't like before. Uh, like, I wasn't a big ice cream person, but Robin was, and now I love ice cream. I don't know what's up with that. Um, just uh, throwing her under the bus and blaming it on her. But uh, you, when you spend time with someone a lot, your thoughts become similar. You start to finish each other's sentences, maybe even. Uh, you... You say the same phrases, and that's just a natural thing that happens from community with other people. Uh, it's not, there's not anything wrong with it. There's, it's actually kind of beautiful um, that God has built us in that way that we can make these connections that become so intricately tied into who we are with other people. And that's what he wants us to have with him. That's what God desires that we would have with him, that we would spend time with him and build thinking on him so much into the rhythms of our life that we would start to tell ourselves what he would tell us, that we would start to think with love in the way that he thinks with love about others, right? That's what he desires for us. And then finally, Our hands, our minds, and our hearts, and our hands. Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does it mean to do something in the name of? It means to be a representative of that thing. So as you set your minds on Christ and begin to desire him more, begin to desire to be like him more, then naturally we'll start doing things that are representative of what he would do. And notice, Paul doesn't say, do spiritual, quote-unquote, things in the name of Jesus. He says, do everything. And what does everything mean? Not a trick question. It means everything, right? Uh, and, and I loved uh, this quote uh, from a commentator, Philip Brooks, on uh, how to promote spiritual life. Um, it's a little bit long, but just hang in there with me, because I think it's really good. On how to promote spiritual life, he says, It is to be religious where one is irreligious now. To let the spiritual force which is in him play upon new activities. How shall he open, for instance, his business life to this deep power? By casting out of his business all that is essentially wicked in it. By insisting to himself on its ideal of charity or usefulness on the loftiest conception of every relationship into which his business brings him with his fellow man, and by making it not a matter of his own whim or choice, but a duty to be done faithfully because God has called him to it. God chose for him his work and meant for him to find his spiritual education there. Not just here, not just with your nose stuck in a Bible, or listening to Caleb, love but in your life day to day, in your, your business, in your job, in your work, in your family life, he continues saying, the Christian finds the hand of Christ in everything, and by the faithful use of everything for Christ's sake, he takes firm hold of that hand of Christ and is drawn nearer and nearer to him. That is, I think, the best best method of promoting spiritual life. Just think practically. How much time do you spend in deep prayer and Bible study and at church versus how much time you spend with family and friends and doing your work? Just think about it practically. Like, we would all like to say, like, oh, I spend more time in prayer and in Bible study and all these things than I do like spending time with my family and friends and working and all those things. But that's not that's not a reality, right? That's not the reality. So just practically speaking, if we want our lives to rhythmically become attuned to Christ and who he is and become like him, then we need to set that rhythm in every part of our life. So you don't just think on things above when you're reading scripture, you think on things above when you're doing your desk job and how that practically looks for you. What does that look like? Well, maybe you need to sit down and figure that out. I, I can't answer that for you, but I do know that Paul says, do everything in the name of Jesus Christ, whether in word or deed. And so I can tell you that That's something that you do need to work on. If you can't think of, what does it look like for me and my business or my work to be thinking on Christ, maybe you need to sit down and take some time and think about it. Uh, Get the counsel of others, of of your, your church family, on helping you if you can't think of anything. So these irreligious parts of our life should be turned to Christ too. And if we are setting our hearts and minds on Christ as we set our hands to work, then we will get to spend all of our moments with him. And just just reflect for a moment on the sweetest times you've had with God, on those times where he's been more real to you than he ever has before. We all, as Christians, have, have had those moments, right? And just think about if you can set and build rhythms into your life where you can just be close to Jesus all the time. How beautiful that would be and how transformative that would be. Doesn't your heart long for that? Doesn't your new self, who you are now in Christ, long for that? If we are spending all of our days with him, we will naturally become like him and we will have an extraordinary life. Not because we necessarily do big, extraordinary things, but because our life is attuned to an extraordinary God. And we will know God's will and do it. So, what are some practical ways that we can put into practice to start doing this? These are all suggestions. These are things that, Maybe you can take and make your own. Um, Some of them are um, things that I've gotten from various books. Some of them are kind of found right here in this passage. But I want to go through uh, a few of these things with you. I I think I have seven things um, that we can talk through. And we're not going to spend a lot of time in them uh, because you could probably do a sermon on each one. Uh, But I'm going to give you one practical habit that you can build Um, that you can start working on uh, maybe this year. Maybe these, I know some of these are going to be goals for me in this new year, and so maybe that's something that you can take away today, go home and say, this is a goal I want to make for this year, these practical habits that attune yourself to the rhythms of grace. Number one is start your day with Scripture. And I know this is just a, this is something that i I personally need to work on. A lot of times I wake up, um, and it, when I wake up, it's time to get going. I have a toddler that's awake and like trying to peek in my door, uh, and by the time I wake up, it's too late to get into Scripture, right? So maybe I need to wake up a little bit earlier and start my day with Scripture. And there's a real, I mean, there's an obvious reason why we should do this, and the obvious reason is because it's God's Word. And what better way to start your day than with God's word, right? But if you think about it, a lot of times what we start our day with, we immediately wake up and our mind says, what do I need to do today? And that sounds more like a habit or a rhythm attuned to go, 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 achieve, 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 than rest in God, right? So instead, if you start your day with Scripture, instead of you waking up and your mind going, what do I need to do today? Instead, you start with Scripture and your mind says, who am I and who am I becoming today? Do you see how subtle but just life-changing that subtle change can be? Instead of waking up and your mind saying, What do I need to do? What do I need to get done? Saying, who am I today? Who does God say I am? And who does God say I should be becoming today? Doesn't that sound much nicer? So start your day with Scripture. Before you get going, before you pick up your phone and read emails or notifications, start your day with God's Word. And what that looks like, might be it's going to be different for all of us maybe it's a quick devotion maybe it's open maybe it's you know the bible verse bible app verse of the day and you read it and you reflect on it and you think about who it says about what it says about god and what it says about who you are and that's it for you maybe it's waking up an hour earlier and doing deep bible study for you or anything in between right it's going to look different for all of us but just that subtle change of what your mind goes to when you wake up can be transformative. Number two, uh, this is something that I think I would like to uh, set reminders in my phone to do, is do three, re- we'll call them refocused prayers, um, strategically placed prayers in your day. So one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and one In the evening or before bed. And so think about them in this way. Um, So in the morning, there's a a rhythm and a strategy to this, right? It's not just like, oh, I'm supposed to be praying, so I guess I'll pray a few times a day. No, it's it's thinking about like, no, I want prayer and thinking on God and talking to him to become a habit and a rhythm of my day. Um, And so how can I build that rhythm into my life so that it has meaning in me drawing near to God and becoming like him, right? So think about it this way. Maybe in the morning your prayer is focused around turning your mind to to God and who he is and away from our old self's desires, right? So in the morning, just like I said with starting with Scripture, you're wanting to focus on him and who he is, who he says you are, instead of focusing on all those other things, who the world says you are, who your old self says you are. And then maybe at midday, your quick refocus prayer is to remind yourself in the middle of your work day that your work is not about you, but that your work is about bringing glory to God, that your work is about how can I bring God glory in what I'm doing right now? How can I build relationships with the people around me as I go about my school day or my work or whatever it is that you're, you're doing in the middle of the day. And then in the evening, uh, maybe as you're going to bed, you have a quick refocus prayer where you're reminding yourself that your anxiety from that day or your failures or all the things that you didn't get done don't define who you are, but resting God defines who you are. And you're choosing to lay down and sleep in the rest of God instead of laying down just thinking about all your anxiety and failures from that day. Just think about how transformative three simple, quick prayers strategically placed in your day can be. Especially that last one, right? How many of us have sleepless nights because... We go to bed instead of thinking on God and the rest that he promises, knowing that he holds all things together. We're thinking on all of our anxiety and things that we didn't get done that we've got to get done tomorrow. Like, won't you be able to do those things better if you rest in God that night? A third thing, um, have a set time with your phone off or away from your phone and other media. Have a set time in your day. Maybe it's 30 minutes. Maybe it's a couple of hours. Uh, maybe like when you get home from work with your family, you your phone goes away and you don't have your phone and you're spending time with your family and eating dinner with them. Um, this allows you to rest from that work and from that media and from all the noises and notifications and spend intimate time with God and your family and friends, right? Because we always have this thing blinking numbers at us and (laughs) vibrating in our pockets and making noises. And it's hard to have intimate time with anyone with that going on. So have a set time where your phone goes away. Number four is to curate your weekly media intake. Uh, maybe for you, curating means cutting it down a lot. Uh, maybe maybe you don't have a lot of media intake, but cu- the, the key word is curate here. And so even if you're not a person that spends much time with media, whether it's social media or movies or TV or music or whatever, maybe you don't spend a lot of time with that, you can still curate it. And that means being um, intentional about what you're using media for, what media you're taking in. Um, If you're intentional about it, then you can cut out what's unhelpful, and you can add what's helpful. And this is the key part of this. When you make a plan for your media, you rule it and not the other way around. I think oftentimes we let the continue watching on Netflix rule our lives instead of having a set plan on, I'm only watching one show after dinner, and I'm not, like, that's your plan, and you're ruling it instead of it ruling you. So think about the sort of media that you spend a lot of time with, um, and think about how can I curate this? How can I set parameters and boundaries around this so that it's not ruling my life, and I can curate it to be helpful in my life instead of unhelpful and distracting Number five, fast weekly or monthly or uh, maybe annually, um, but have regular times of fasting. Uh, this is something that I just, I don't ever think about. I don't think about fasting, and I, I don't think a lot of people that live in Lafayette, Louisiana think about fasting. I think about food a lot, uh, but I don't think about fasting very often. Um, but, This is something that you can build into your life, whether it's weekly or maybe you do it monthly or maybe even like you have uh, a week or a month or something annually that you fast from something. Um, But what's important is that you do it with a purpose, a purpose that is meant to attune yourself to the right rhythms, right? So, Maybe uh, so. Maybe let, let's talk about how, like the how often first, or what it looks like. It can be a 12-hour fast, or maybe a 24-hour fast. Maybe once a week you fast from one meal. Uh, maybe you do several days uh, in a month. Maybe like one weekend a month, or something like that. But the important part is whatever you choose to do, make sure that you have a plan for what you're doing with that fast. Maybe when you fast, so maybe if you do on Wednesdays for lunch, every week I'm going to fast. And instead of just not eating during that time or whatever you choose to fast from, May, during that time have a purpose. Maybe it's a reflection on God and who He is. Maybe you pull out your Bible when you normally would be eating and read a few passages of Scripture. Um, maybe during that time uh, you're praying and asking the Holy Spirit to re- reveal uh, sins or faults in your life that... Uh, you are not aware of. Maybe uh, during that time of fasting, you decide, uh, during this fast, I'm going to intercede for other people and pray for my church family and my family and my friends specifically and by name. And um, maybe, uh, maybe just during that time, you reflect on desiring God more than you desire the food or the thing you're fasting from, right? But if you do this, you can Use it to build a rhythm of grace into your life where you're setting your mind and your heart and your hands to Christ. The sixth thing is just simply church involvement. In this passage, he says, uh, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing each other and psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing it to God with gratitude in your hearts. And what does that sound like if not church, right? Coming here on Sunday and singing hymns of praise to one another, gathering together in, in d-groups and admonishing, encouraging one another and holding each other accountable. That's church, right? Paul's saying if you want to tune yourselves to Christ, if you want to set your minds on him, then you need to do it together. And so maybe this year your a goal should be I want to be consistent with my church attendance and be consistent in joining a D group or a small group or a Bible study of one sort or another um, so that you can build this rhythm into your life. And then lastly, number seven is Sabbath. Do a true Sabbath. Or I said truly practice Sabbath. Sabbath is not... Sabbath is not just a day where you don't do anything. It's not just like, oh, like, I think that's why most people just don't really take it seriously. It's because they just see it as like, oh, like, that's just people like being lazy one day a week. It's like, no, it's Sabbath is a rhythm that you build into your life to attune yourself to God. And so if you think of Sabbath as just that's just a day where I'm lazy, then like, of course, that's not really healthy because just being lazy isn't really healthy to begin with. Like, we're made to be doing things and active uh, in our minds and in our with our hands. The difference is, on the Sabbath, what you're doing is you're setting aside work, and you're setting aside those things that you're trying to work and achieve and build yourself up, and you're resting in God. And so, What this does is that it builds a rhythm in our life that teaches us that our world and our lives revolve around God and that God sustains the world, God sustains our lives, God sustains our jobs, God sustains our families, and not us. So on the Sabbath day, I can rest from all those things and remind myself that God holds all this together and I can rely and trust on him to do it. And so here's a practical thing maybe that you can do. This is something that uh, me and my wife, Robin, have done in the past and probably need to redo it uh, maybe again soon. Um, We made a list, uh, just a little T-chart, and on one side are things that drain us. Uh, and on the other side are things that like excite us or give us life. And so on Saturdays or when we make, when we really are intentional about taking Sabbath, we don't work on Saturdays. We don't do anything that's work related, but we also like try not to do these things that drain us, like going grocery shopping on a Saturday is, I mean, that's just, have y'all, do y'all go grocery shopping on Saturdays? It's draining. Uh, and so, uh, that's one thing like we don't go or like to the best of our ability we don't go grocery shopping or do certain chores on saturdays because those things just kind of drain us and on saturdays we want to do things that god has given us passion for and excite us um or just like are just like restful and life-giving like just going to the park with your toddler and watching him slide down the slide is just life-giving right it it gives you joy And so that's just something practical, a practical um, uh, suggestion maybe of, okay, I want to take a a true Sabbath, but I'm not sure where to start. That's somewhere to start. Make a list, write down things that drain you, and write down things uh, that give you life, and work on implementing that on a day of Sabbath for you. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Um, And so uh, that's seven suggestions, right, of things that we can build into our lives, habits that that can help attune us to Christ, attune our hearts and our minds to him. And as we build these habits into the rhythm of our lives, we are practically turning our minds, hearts, and hands to those rhythms of grace. And when we do that, we will naturally draw nearer to God and become more like him, right? But there is a warning as we close. Be careful that these habits, these rhythms, don't lose their source of life. Although circadian rhythms are built into things with life, they can be adjusted or entrained to the local environment by external cues. So the circadian rhythm can change due to external cues from the environment. Typically, that would be things like light and temperature, right? When you think about the environment, um, if you just think about plants, which is what originally this this concept was developed with, plants are attuned to a rhythm based on their environment, based on their climate, or whatever it may be. And these things were, the the term that's used in that field um, is a German term, and I probably will say this wrong, uh, Zeitgebers, um, which just simply means time-givers. It gives time to their rhythm, right? To their internal clocks. Well, let's look in Revelation 21, verses 22 and 23, real quick. It says, I did not see a temple in it, talking about the new heavens and the new earth. I did not see a temple in it because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Now there's a lot of metaphorical meaning going on here, but I think for us today it has a very profound meaning as we're looking at these rhythms of grace what is astounding is that though we do not yet have God fully dwelling among us like it is portraying here in Revelation 21, Scripture does describe us in 1 Corinthians 6 as temples of the Holy Spirit. We are temples of God, God living in us, us having our life through him. And so we have... The time giver, the light of the world, living inside of us, giving us his light, his warmth. As we tune ourselves to his rhythms of grace, we have the light of the world. We have the one who, when there was nothing, with a word created time and space in us. Um, among us today living in our hearts giving us life giving us peace giving us joy and telling us we are now defined by new life in him not by who we used to be and that gives our main point as we close our last one good rhythms and habits can become useless and toilsome if they are not done with a mind and heart that is seeking Christ. If in building these things into your life, you are not seeking Christ and trying to draw near to him while you're doing it, they too will just become useless and toilsome, just like so many of our other habits in our lives. And so as we go today, as we seek to build rhythms of grace into our lives so that we can draw near to God and become more like him, Make sure that you don't lose sight of the time giver of those rhythms. The one who tells us who we are and gives us the power to become who we're supposed to be. You can do this because, of course, you have him living with you and guiding you. And so remember that uh, as as we come to an end today. You can become more like Jesus and draw near to him as he gives you rhythms of grace in your life and you come along beside him, walk with him, work with him, and watch how he does it. And those rhythms of grace will soon become unforced in your life. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for who you are today. We thank you that you are our light and our life god that you god, that you desired so much that we would become attuned to who you are and all your beauty and power and uh, and joy and peace and love that we would so become so attuned to that you desired that so much for us god that you came down to rescue us to rid us of that old self and give us new life in Christ. And Father, I pray that um, this morning that we would set our minds on that mercy and grace that defined your coming to us, God, that we just celebrated at Christmas, God. You coming to us, humbling yourself. And living a perfect life that led to a cross where you died so that we could know you and be like you and father i pray that you would come alongside us in this new year as we walk with you and work with you to build these rhythms of grace into our life tuning our hearts and our minds and our hands to your will and your Father, we thank you again for who you are, and we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.